In today's Gospel from Mark, we encounter another miracle. If you remember last Sunday, there was Jesus healing the mother-in-law of Simon, Simon Peter. And today we encounter a miracle where Jesus is healing a man with leprosy. We've got to look at leprosy not the way we look today. Leprosy was serious and deadly in, um, in Jesus' time. And in many senses, um, it was contagious. And if somebody contracted leprosy or any skin disease, that's what leprosy really represents, um, they were exiled, they were separated, and they were quarantined for life. We see a bit of this in today's first reading from the book of Leviticus, which talks about all these religious um, rules, um, what makes things, people clean, unclean. And this is what today's first reading says. The one who bears the sore of leprosy shall keep his garments rent and his head bare, and shall muffle his beard. He shall cry out, unclean, unclean. So basically, if he came across somebody from the town, he, was supposed, he or she was supposed to shout out, unclean, unclean, so the other person knows that they should not come close. Not only that, he shall dwell apart, making his abode outside the camp, separated from family, friends, livelihood, pretty much left to die. And what does the leper do in the gospel? He asks Jesus to heal him. He honors Jesus by kneeling and the way he asks his question. He says, if you will, if you wish, you can make me clean. This is an act of faith. The leper believed that Jesus had the power to heal him, to make him clean. If you go back again to the Old Testament, it was understood that only God could really cure a leper. So this, this man is exercising um, this faith he is uh, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. He can make me clean. So where do we see this separation from community, this um, treatment of being an outcast, and at the same time, an act of profound faith? We see that in the black community. And today we're celebrating that history. And that history involves slavery, separation, segregation, whites and blacks, cities were separated. Believe it or not, the church was separated as well. I can recall a story where in white churches, they used to 
have a couple of pews for the black people and they were supposed to only sit in those pews and nowhere else. They were given communion at the end. But at the same time, in the same black community, there arose great Catholic leaders. There was great Catholic, heroic Catholic faith. And today, I present to you three women um, who were from the black community, but one where people who lived this heroic faith. And one of them is Mother Mary Elizabeth Lang. She is from the early 19th century. She was um, born as Elizabeth Lang in present-day Haiti. She was from a well-off family. Uh, the family, during her, when the revolution began, uh, fled to Cuba, well-educated, and then the family moved to the U.S., to Baltimore. This was a time when the state of Maryland was a slave state. So there was no public education for the blacks. And Elizabeth saw this. She tried to educate uh, the people from her community. The bishop in the, um, in the city encouraged her and even challenged her to set up a religious order to take care of the black community, to take care of the education of the community. So little by little, Elizabeth um, initially put, laid the foundation for what later became one of the first Catholic, black Catholic schools. Um, she also, in a few years, established a religious order um, of women of African descent. Even though she encountered racism, lack of funds, she persevered. She continued doing her mission. She died in the year 1882. The religious order that she founded um, is called the Oblates Sisters of Providence. And they had a motto, Providence will provide. We then go to another woman who lived a heroic faith almost a contemporary of um, Elizabeth Lang, who, who is today called Mother Mary Elizabeth Lang. Um, and, and this person is Venerable Honorette Delisle from New Orleans. She's the foundress of a religious community called the Sisters of the Holy Family. It is the first New Orleans congregation for women of color. She was also born during the time of slavery. She was from a well-off, um, she was a well-off free woman of color. So she got good education. Her mother taught her music, literature, dancing, and nursing. And many senses, it was to attract a wealthy white man to marry. It was, it was normal during that time, um, and I guess it meant security, it meant a high standing in society. But Honorette resisted this. She wanted to become irreligious. 
But at that time, it was not legal for whites and blacks to live together. So she was not able to find a religious community that she could enter. So in the year 1842, she founded the Sisters of the Holy Family. She had a passion for sick and elderly, and she was true in, in, in that area of mission. In her diary that I believe we have today, she writes a beautiful um, line. It says, I believe in God, I hope in God, I love, I want to live and die for God. Our third woman of, who lived an exemplary um, life of faith is Sister Thea Bauman. Uh, Thea was born in the year 1937, more close to our times. Um, she was from rural Mississippi. Her family was Protestant, but she converted to Catholicism uh, at a very young age, when she was around nine years old. And this happened because she was attending a parochial school. The teachers at the, at the school were sisters from, were the Franciscan sisters of the perpetual adoration. So as she grew up in her teenage years, she wanted to become, like her teacher, uh, or many teachers, a Franciscan nun. And she enters this religious order, the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration, but she finds that she's the only African-American in a white religious order. She believed in her identity as a black woman. She said that, that the church must make room for the spiritual traditions of the black, which included slavery, hope and resistance, family, community, celebration, remembrance. She goes on to study um, at the Catholic University of America. She gets a doctorate in English and linguistics. She's a um, spellbinding speaker. She's invited to speak at many places. But during the, the later part of her um, uh, life, she is diagnosed with an incurable breast cancer. And from then on, she becomes a witness of courage and trust in God. She said, I don't make sense of suffering. I try to make sense of life. I try each day to see God's will. So we still see divisions, divisions based on the color of our skin, on ideology, on language, on politics. Pope Francis recently released an encyclical titled Fratelli Tutti. And in that he talks about the fear of the outsider. He says, once more we encounter the temptation to build a culture of walls, to raise walls, walls in the heart, walls on the land, in order to prevent this encounter with other cultures, with other people. And all those who raise walls will end up as slaves within the very walls they have built. 
As followers of Christ, we are called to be free, free of walls. We're called to be open. We're called to love. We're called to embrace. What is Jesus' response to the leper who comes to him? He says, of course, I want to heal you. I want to cure you. Be cured. He touches this man. He reaches out. He holds him. He, he forgets. It was understood that he would become unclean if he touches somebody who is unclean. But he's not thinking about all of this. So Jesus is an embodiment of divine hospitality, healing the sick, welcoming the outcast, welcoming people back home. So even though we are people of different color, black or white, we are from the same God. We're engendered by the same Father. These three women that we just um, spoke about uh, are on the road to be canonized as saints. If you know the process for canonization, it involves four levels. You initially begin with what is called um, the servant of God. So when somebody is recommended to the Vatican, um, an application sent uh, to be considered a saint, uh, when the Vatican receives that application, this person becomes servant of God and the investigation begins um, on the life um, of this person. The second stage is they are declared venerable when when the church finds out that these people indeed live a heroic virtue. And the level after that is what we call blessed. They are beatified. That's when one miracle is attributed to the intercession of this person. And the final stage is sainthood, is canonization. When two miracles um, are attributed to the intercession of the person. And with canonization, the person is elevated and presented as an example of holiness for the church worldwide. Um, Mary, uh, Mother Mary Elizabeth Lang and Sister Thea Bauman are both servants of God. And um, Honorette Delisle is a venerable. So they are on the road to sainthood. And like today's second reading, St. Paul tells us, I believe these three women are telling us something. They are joining St. Paul and telling us, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Just before Sister Thea Bauman died in the year 1990, a year before, she was invited by the uh, U.S. bishops to address a conference on, on black Catholics. And she answered a question. What does it mean to be black and Catholic? This was Sister Thea's answer. I come to my church 
fully functioning, I bring myself, my black self, all that I am, all that I have, all that I hope to become. I bring my whole history, my traditions, my experience, my culture, my African-American song and dance and gesture and movement and teaching and preaching and healing and responsibility as gift to the church. So my brother and s- brothers and sisters, you're all welcome. And that is what Christ's hospitality means. No matter who we are, what color of skin we have, what ideology, what political leaning, you're all welcome. We want you to come fully functioning, bringing everything that you have. So let us today join together as one body in Christ, um, in glorifying him for all the things that he does and continues to do um, in the church, in our communities, especially here at Loreto, um, where um, everything that you bring um, as African, as people of African ancestry um, makes Loreto. It contributes to what Loreto is. Um, you know, uh, somebody was saying, oh, I hear Loreto is a Hispanic parish. Well, that is partly true, but not fully true. We're more than a Hispanic parish. And, um, and that is what um, um, I guess Christ is trying to tell us today. So, um, so I join um, a pastor, Father Felipe, uh, Bishop Luis Miguel, and myself, um, and a brother Don, in, um, in wishing all of you a, um, a Black History Month, um, a month where we renew our commitment uh, to Christ and to this parish.